Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Today we're continuing our series. This is our second week of a series entitled, Why? That's it. Just why? And last week we talked about why should I believe in God or why, do, why, why, do I, why should I believe God is real? And we talked about that. You can go back to our podcast if you want to listen to that as well. Today we're going to hit a topic that I think is prevalent in society today as well. Is why is the Bible so restrictive? I've heard, and not even sometimes do I hear it as much as I feel it, I sense it when I'm around someone. Man, I, don't, I can't do that. It's so restrictive. Why is the Bible, Bible so narrow-minded? Why, why is it so restrictive? And I want to speak to that subject today. Because there's more and more people who believe that Christianity or religion is an instrument that is used to trample on people's freedoms. So all of a sudden they think that the religion... Or Christianity in general is something that's going to take away our freedoms. Many believe that the road for finding freedom is found in the opposite direction of God's word. Because God's word is too restrictive, it's too narrow, and is no longer relevant to modern society. It no longer applies to our lives. We, we, we've matured, we have grown, and you know, the, the word of God written two, three thousand years ago, it just doesn't, it's not applicable to my life today. The big thing, it restricts my personal choices. I don't want anything to restrict my choice. For many, the definition of freedom is the right to do whatever I want. That's freedom, that I can do whatever I want. I am free to make whatever decision that seems right to me. And anyone who tells me different, I'm going to view them as an oppressor. If you tell me I can't do something, guess what? You, you are oppressing my rights to freedom. Therefore, they view the Bible, they view Christianity as something that restricts them from freedom and truth. And maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you're watching online here today, and you have that in your heart as well, that the Bible is too restrictive. It restricts me from the freedom that I want to make in, in personal choices of my life. I see this conversation entering the church more and more, and rightly so. It should enter the church. We should have difficult topics coming into church. We should be able to talk about subjects that maybe make us feel a little uncomfortable. Jesus never shied away from difficult topics. He tackled them straight on. And he, he brought them forth because, you know what? The church should be a place where you find answers, not get pushed away. Amen? The reason the church needs to be involved in this topic, why is the Bible so restrictive? Why can't I find my freedom and my personal choices? Because that thinking is in direct opposition to God's word. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By its very nature, when you read that, that's a very restrictive statement. I mean... I don't know that you can go, well, he was just, no, no, that's really restrictive. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, not some, not a few, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also shared this of himself in John 8, chapter 8, verse 32. And you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. And what Jesus was stating there, who is the truth? The truth is Jesus. He says, and you will know me. And guess what? I will set you free. Again, it's in direct opposition to what many in our society believe. So let's, let's discuss the questions. And I'm, I don't have these on the PowerPoint, but you can write these three questions down. This is kind of what we're going to talk about through this message. First question, why is the Bible so restrictive? Second question, why is Jesus seen as the only one who can bring freedom into my life? And then the third question, what am I being set free from? The first question, why is the Bible so restrictive? There's an interesting book in the, in the Bible. It's called Amos. And some of you might not be that familiar with the book, but it's, one, it's considered one of the minor prophets. And the reasons it's called minor prophets, if, if you've ever wondered that question, why are some books called major prophets? Why are some books called minor prophets in the Old Testament? Minor prophets just means that there's less chapters, there's less writing in that book. Major prophets usually has 30 to 40 chapters. That's the difference between the minor and major prophets. And, and the book of Amos is a minor prophet. And he writes this book to basically some of the neighboring countries, but, but really focused on Israel itself. Amos was not a typical prophet. He didn't have the priestly education. He didn't really have higher education. You know what? Amos was a shepherd. That's who he was. And the Bible says he was a fruit picker. He picked fruit. How many have ever picked fruit? I have an orange tree, so I can, I can go into that category. I'm a fruit picker. So Amos was a shepherd. He was a fruit picker in the village of Tekoa. But God called upon Amos to share a message to the country of Israel. It was a difficult message, a message that was highly unpopular. Because at that time, Israel was actually experiencing great prosperity. Things were going well. I mean, for the, for the, for the nation, things were really doing well. But what happened was that Israel, it seems like if you read your Old Testament, every time when Israel started doing well, they started to forget about God. When prosperity started taking place, and they, oh, we start forgetting about God. And all of a sudden, God realizes that they're, they're no longer worshiping me. In fact, they have introduced new idols into their life. They're worshiping these false gods. They're worshiping these different things. And, and God says, I'm through with this. And he calls upon this shepherd. He says, I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to announce it to the nation of Israel. Let me read a portion of that scripture from chapter 7 of Amos, verses 7 and 8. Then he says, then he showed me another vision. The Lord did. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line, and I will no longer ignore all their sins. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today, once again, that your word will come alive into our spirits. And God, if we invite your presence in this place, we don't want to gather together as a body of believers without your presence. And even for some of those who maybe are watching online today or have gathered here today and they don't have a relationship with you, I pray right now, Lord God, they would even feel your presence in this place. 
Speak to us through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God was judging Israel according to his word. And if you, he had it, all of a sudden Amos saw this vision of a plumb line. And if you don't know what a plumb line is, a plumb line is something that they would hang, uh, it would be on a string, and there'd be a weight on the bottom of it, and they could, they could hang it from here, and it would drop down, and it was basically a guideline to see if something was straight or if something had become crooked. And God was giving Amos a vision. He was hanging this plumb line along a wall, and he said, I'm testing to see if it's still straight. And that's what I'm going to do with Israel. Are they still choosing to follow after me? God was judging Israel according to his word. We as God's people are given a guideline to follow. It's the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, God's word is... What I would argue, what I would share today is God's word is needed as a guideline for our life. Many people in society today don't want to live under the restrictions of a guideline. They just don't want to do it. We are intelligent beings and we want the freedom to make my own choice. I don't want you making my choice. I want to make my own choice. Yet we see throughout history and even today's society that choices that we make as human beings are extremely flawed. Just watch the news. Don't watch the news. I'm sorry, don't do that. But if you want to see flaw, just watch the news for a little bit, and you'll see it. We tend to exchange one bad idea for another bad idea. And in God's omniscience, he knew that as a people, we needed a guideline to follow if we truly wanted to experience all that God had designed and planned for our life. It's interesting, we choose to follow a set of rules in many other different areas of our life. If you play sports, a sport that's worth playing, most likely you're following a set of rules. If you play basketball, if you play football, if you play tennis or golf, guess what? There's usually a set of guidelines. Even if you go fishing, guess what? They don't want you to go fishing with dynamite. They're going to make you use a fishing pole. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to just blow up fish. You're going to get in trouble for that. And so you've set a, a, a set of guidelines for a sport. And even they hire refs and umpires so that we follow those guidelines. It brings equality into that whole situation. And guess what? For the most part, most of us appreciate those rules and we're willing to follow those guidelines. But man, when it comes to life, don't give me any guidelines. No, 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 no. I'm free to make my own choices. Any good business will, set, will have a set of rules or a policy manual by which you are guided. It used to be when you got hired by an employer, it was mandatory that you actually took the time to read the policy manual. They made you read that policy manual. A lot of times they made you do it at work. Here's the policy manual. We want you to sit down. We want you to read through that. Nowadays, uh, we might not even see a policy manual. And then we have to ask. The only page that we want to see is how many vacation days do I get? What are the holidays? And what's the overtime pay look like? Me, 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 me. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with looking at that stuff, but we have a, this, this perspective that we got to see what's really important to us, and we're not concerned about the actual policies or the, the work requirements that, that those things are just kind of ignored. The greater question is, what, how does it benefit me? And I think most people, I shouldn't say most people, some people 
treat God in the same fashion. Where I don't want to... Oh my goodness, I don't have a Bible here. Someone give me the Bible. I don't want to read God's word. Yet God's word is our policy manual. It's our guideline. But God, I don't want to, just tell me how it's going to benefit me. Let me know. I don't want to spend the time reading through all the, that stuff. God, if I choose to follow you, what do I get out of it? How much are you going to pay me? How much time do I get off? What is the environment like if I come, if I come in and be a part of the church? Do I get an expense account? Do I get a car to drive? What's in it for me? I'm kind of joking here. Just have fun with me, okay? Lighten, lighten up, everybody. But what would happen if before going to work for an employer, if we ended up choosing to spend some time to actually investigate their policies? To actually investigate their business ethics. To actually go into the community and ask questions about, hey, how's this business in your community? Do you, do you feel good about it? I think if we would actually take the time to do some investigation and discover some greater things, maybe we'd find greater security, comfort, and joy knowing that we're actually working for a company that has integrity. That there's actually, it would probably far outweigh maybe the, the, the shorter term benefits of a company that doesn't have integrity. I would rather choose to work for a company that has great integrity and maybe I don't have many benefits to start off with, but I know that the integrity is there and I'm proud to be a part of it. Many times we live life with a short term mindset. We don't look for the long term benefits. For example, Immorality looks for short-term benefits. Isn't that true? When you get tempted with sin, when you get tempted to do something that's not right, all of a sudden that immorality, it really is a short-term benefit. You're seeking out some kind of a, of, of a pleasure, and you, you know it's probably not, and so you just step into it, but, but you just feel like, and it's a short-term benefit. You see, morality is looking for a long-term benefit. It's not a short-term benefit. When I meet with people regarding marriage, I try to encourage them along a path of long-term benefits. You know, as you enter into this marriage, God's going to ask you for faithfulness because it's faithfulness that's going to change your marriage. It's, it's honesty and, and being trustworthy that's going to change your marriage. It's going to, it's going to bring something that is long-term and not short-term. Long-term commitments turn into greater joy and comfort and happiness. The destruction of anything valuable is usually caused by unfaithfulness. Think about it. Anything valuable in your life, when it starts to fall apart, usually has something to do with unfaithfulness. In a marriage, maybe unfaithfulness to your spouse. At a workplace, maybe unfaithfulness to your, your, yours always calling in sick. Uh, what, whatever it might be, and you're not sick, by the way, and you're just calling in sick. Whatever it might be, most things that, are, that are, have value or long are ruined because of unfaithfulness in our lives. It can be the destruction of marriage, the destruction of employment, the destruction of friendships. You fill in the rest of the list. Part of the struggle is many people, catch this, catch this thought, many people to choo choose to live by a different set of morals, standards, or guidelines dependent upon their relationships. And that's what people outside the church hate about people inside the church if they have a different set of morals depending on what relationship they're going to be a part of. Just getting real here, guys. 
That's why it hit me on the random acts of kindness. We're not going to do this just to promote. We're going to do this because it needs to come from our heart. Let's have the right reason why we're doing things. But when all of a sudden we, we, we have a different set of morals, different set of standards, different set of guidelines, guess what? Life becomes really difficult. Especially if you think about a family, and if you have children, guess what? That becomes really different, difficult when you have a different set of guidelines, a different set of morals, depending on who you're with. That's a, an exhausting way to live life. Kids can see the set of one guidelines that are followed when grandma and grandpa come over to the house. And then all of a sudden there's another set of guidelines when dad's friends come over to the house. And yet there's still another set of guidelines when mom and dad decide to go to church. And then there's another set of guidelines when mom's girlfriends come over. There's, that's another one. And then there's this completely different set of guidelines for the kids. And those guidelines are really restrictive. Super, you know, they're the most restrictive of all the guidelines. And rightly so in certain ways. There are certain things that are age appropriate. So that's rightly so. But can I ch challenge you on something? Sometimes we use that statement age appropriate with our kids just to hide away from immorality. Just, just saying. I know I'm stepping on toes. I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. Okay. Sometimes age-appropriate guidelines are only excuses for immorality. Mom going out every Friday night with girlfriends and getting drunk will be seen as hypocrisy by teenagers. Dad's language always changing when his work friends come over. All of a sudden, he becomes degrading to his wife. All of a sudden, he makes sarcastic remarks all the time. All of a sudden, you, the kids can see something changes in dad when all of a sudden his work friends come over. That will be seen as hypocrisy. Can you imagine if God had a different set of guidelines dependent upon each individual relationship? He has a guideline for Emerson. He has a guideline for me. He has a guideline for Mark. They're all different. And he said, well, Tom's going to get this guideline. Now you would think, because that's kind of what we ask for, God. I want, I want to set my own guidelines. I don't want to be so restrictive to the word of God. I'm going to do it this way. And we say we want that, but in reality, if that actually took place, we would be so upset and freaked out and so angry and so mad. How do you know that, Pastor Tom? Because it happens. When we set a different set of rules or policies for all of a sudden Hollywood, or let's go this one. This is going to just, whew, people are going to stand up. Politicians. Directors of CEO directors of, of large corporations, when all of a sudden they can live by a different set of policies or rules than ordinary people, we get upset. And we would be upset at God if all of a sudden he set up a different set of rules for each person individually. No, God in his omniscience has given us his word and we have one set of rules that we live by if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. If we choose to follow this guideline, I believe we will, we will be proud of the life that is built. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. He has a get, people gathered all around him. And he said, you know, it's like a house that is built upon a rock. 
And when the storms come in and the winds come through, you know what? The house that is built upon a rock, instead of built, being built upon a foundation of sand, that house on the rock will stand. And what Jesus was talking about, if your life is being built upon the rock, and the rock is Jesus Christ, when your life is built upon that, when different things come hitting your way, guess what? You will be able to stand all the other stuff, all the difficulties. But if, you're, if you don't have a set of guidelines, oh my gosh, you're going to be just torn up, thrown this way, thrown that way. You're going to believe this person on this side. You're going to come next to this friend over here. Oh, I, oh man, I feel so bad. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run over here because i got to help this person over here. And the church, I'm just going to abandon the church because that church is so narrow and restrictive thinking. If we came back to the Word of God, guess what? The Word of God is a light unto my path. It changes our life. But we have to be willing to submit to the word of God. And most of us don't want to do that. We'll submit to the, to the, to the rules at a pickleball court, but put the word of God in front of me. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm preaching way too much today. Whew, I don't know why that got on me. I was reading an article the other day about a 58-story residential skyscraper called the Millennium Tower uh, in San Francisco. And it's leaning 26 inches. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot. It's, it's leaning 28 inches toward the northwest, which is literally heading towards the financial district of San Francisco. And they're concerned that this can't keep happening because every year it leans another three inches. And they have, you know, they have the engineers out there. They're trying to figure out what's going to take place, what, what, what they need to do. And, and 26 inches might not seem a lot to a 645-foot-tall building, but it's a major issue. If they can't find a resolve to that tower, it will eventually, guess what? It has a danger of falling and hurting a lot of people. So if they don't find a resolve, eventually what they're going to have to do is just dismantle it or implode it or whatever they might, might have to do to, for the safety of others. Kind of reminds me of God's word and, and people and life in general. But as I was thinking about that, we all understand the taller the building, the greater foundation. When I was living in Las Vegas, Annette and I would walk down the strip and they were building, they were building the city center back then when we were living there in this huge five billion, whatever it was, dollar project. And we'd walk along the sidewalks and you know how they always board up the sidewalks so you can't, or the fencing along the, the, uh, the building you, so you can't see what's going on and there'd be a little crack in the plywood or whatever it might be. And I'd take a look in there and man, you couldn't even see the bottom of the hole. It was so deep. The higher the skyscraper, the deeper the foundation must go. And you know what? The higher the sky, the more accurate you have to be. You can't be tilting two or three inches one way. You have to have a plumb line like God was talking to Amos. And it has to be straight if you want to do great things for God. Because if that plumb line is straight, not straight, if it's not lined up vertically correct, guess what? All of a sudden, when things hit, all of a sudden you start crumbling. We see that happening in people's lives today. Especially in, in sometimes great pastors and different situations. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it states, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We can have as many plans as we think. I mean, we can put out as many, myriads of plans. I want to do this, I want to do that. There is only one thing that's going to stand. Guess what? 
The only thing that stands is the purpose of the Lord in your life. As I was studying this message, I was praying through this, that hit me so hard. I can put all this effort, this human effort into all these things, but it's not going to be lasting unless it's under God's purpose. So I need to take the plumb line out. I need to take that guideline out. I need to take that level out. Guess what? Am I aligned to the purpose of God in my life? Why is the Bible so restrictive? Maybe it's because we need a guideline that continues to lead our life. I want to discuss the second question. I know I'm running late, but we're going to finish up fast, so don't panic. Why is Jesus seen as the only one who can bring freedom into my life? Remember the scripture I shared, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The reason is because God's word is more than just a guideline. God's word is liberating. We live in a culture today where many people view laws as restrictive or oppressive. They view all authority from that same viewpoint. Yet why do people from third world, third world countries are willing to sacrifice everything, leave everything they've ever known, they were willing to leave it all behind so they can, that they can come to in a country that's filled with laws and rules? America. Why are they willing to do that? I still have... The mental picture in my head, and many of you have the same picture in your head, at Kabul Airport in Afghanistan. When we were, all of a sudden, we were, we were leaving Afghanistan, we were, we were taking the military out of the country, and we had the military plane on the, on the tarmac there in Kabul. And if you remember the site you saw in the news, there was just thousands of people on the tarmac. They, could, they really couldn't do hardly anything. People were trying to get inside the plane. They were hanging onto the side of the plane. We saw the plane take off and you saw young adults hanging onto the plane, falling thousands of feet to their death. Why? Why would someone do that? It's because they were under true oppression. They were under the true tyranny of a country, and they were trying to escape that true oppression that was taking place. They knew the Taliban had taken over the city, and they were seeking freedom. That's why they wanted to come so badly to America, because they were looking for a country that would protect them and give them rights. And I want to remind us today, remember those rights are developed from rules and laws that are meant to protect the citizens of this country. We know that authority in the wrong hands can be oppressive, and we even see that within America. So I'm not with blinders on saying that we don't have any problems. I get that. But authority in the right hands can be liberating. Listen to these powerful words from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 25. It says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law, focus on perfect, the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Within God's perfect law, you can find spiritual freedom, freedom from the sin that tries to entangle our life. The law that James is referring to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's law is created to protect the citizens of his kingdom. They are law for, for, the, for our benefits, laws to help us, not to hinder us. Yet if your only perspective of law is oppressive, if the only thing that you think about rules and authority is something that oppresses you, you will never actually understand God's law and the freedom that you can find in God's law that is a perfect 
law. In our society today, we are watching what seems to be a social experiment where we are reducing the penalties for crimes. We're literally removing penalties of crimes altogether. The natural result of, of this taking place, is, of these decisions, is that what? Crime is what? Increasing. Why anyone thought there would be any other different result, I have no idea. I just, I can't figure it out. The Bible talks about inherently the, the, the human heart is wicked. If you don't put some boundaries on the human heart, if you don't put some boundaries out there, guess what? There are people that are going to take that and do bad things. Rules or laws are barriers that should protect us from harm. Removing the fencing, I don't know if you've ever driven along the freeway of Wyoming or the freeway of Montana. If they removed the fencing that goes along those freeways, we would have vehicles smashing into cows every day. Those fencings are to protect those people, to protect the cows too, hopefully. But to protect the people that are driving along the freeway. If you remove the dikes from New Orleans, the next great rainstorm, that city would be flooded. It's there for a boundary. It's to protect us. Remove God's law, the gospel from your life, and you open yourself up to spiritual oppression, deception, and sin. Rules and laws should be created to protect us. God's word is given to us to protect us. God's law is not given to harm us, to help us. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope, plans, plans, rules, orders. I have plans for your life. It's not to destroy your life. It's to help your life. It's to protect you. It's to move you forward. It's to prosper you. Psalms chapter 1, it states that a blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. See, God's law is not given to oppress us. It's given to liberate us. We know that authority in the wrong hands can be oppressive. But in the right hands, it's liberating. Some might view God's law as restrictive, but I believe God's law is what liberates us from evil. Many people in society today are chasing what I would call a false freedom. A freedom that is defined only as the, catch this, a freedom that is defined only as the absence of limitations. But if you understand true freedom, you understand freedom comes with a price. It comes with a sacrifice. It comes with restrictions. It's like the person who has chosen to eat whatever they want throughout their entire life and they have put no limitations on their diet. Zero. You're looking at the man right here in so many ways. Bowl of ice cream every night. I don't do that anymore. Oh, man, would I love to. But what happens to that person that has zero restrictions on his diet? He eats whatever he wants to eat. Then all of a sudden he enters into the doctor's office and the doctor looks at him and says, you know, you are a prime candidate for a heart attack. In fact, I'm telling you right now, if you don't change your diet, you're going to have a heart attack and you are going to die. That person has a decision to make between two different freedoms. He has a choice of making the freedom that he's just going to eat whatever he wants to eat. And in doing so, he's going to lose the freedom of spending more time with his family, with his friends, with his grandchildren. You see, many times we have to sacrifice certain things to actually find true freedom. Many times we have to make tough decisions. You know what? I'm going to restrict 
what is that? My, my Annette's not here. She has me on something. I drank last night. Oh, my gosh. It was so bad. Apple vinegar? Is that, is that yeah. Oh, my goodness. She put it in a cup and heated it up and, oh, it hit my nose. It was like my eyes are watery. Why would I drink? It's good for you, Tom. We want you to live a long time. Vincent needs to see his grandpa. It's not that bad tasting, but the smell could kill you. So I'm just, okay, I'm drinking it. I committed to drinking a cup every night. I don't enjoy it. But by doing so, guess what? It opens up freedom for me. It's supposed to lower blood sugar. It's supposed to help with cancer. It's supposed to help with all these things. So you know what? If it really does do that, I'm going to step out and do that. Because it it lets me enter into a new freedom. So the question is, which freedom is greater? Jonathan Haidt, I'm coming to a close, don't don't panic. Jonathan Haidt, author of Happiness, The Happiness Hypothesis, writes these words. And I put it on the board for you today. An ideology of extreme personal freedom can be dangerous because it encourages people to leave homes, jobs, cities, and marriages in search of personal and professional fulfillment, thereby breaking the relationships, catch this, thereby breaking the relationships that were probably their best hope for such fulfillment. Jesus is the perfect example of true freedom, how freedom comes with a price. Jesus was willing to give up his freedom in heaven to come to earth so he could willingly die on a cross, give up his very own life, for the price of our sins. Romans 3.23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, gave up his rights, personal freedom, to come from heaven to earth so that he could share his life with you. To take away the sin that so easily entangles us, so that bonds us. He says, no, I'm setting you free from that. You see, none of us can meet the standard that plumb line I was talking about in the book of Amos that goes like that, none of us could meet that standard. God realized that. Okay, these guys are just not doing it. Jesus, go. Jesus sent from heaven to earth, and Jesus met every standard required perfectly. And because of that, of his sacrifice, being perfect here on earth, and then dying on a cross, because of the shedding of his blood and the sacrifice of his life, we now, guess what? Get to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And by standing in that righteousness, it doesn't take us further towards sin. It takes us further towards holiness. It makes us want to be more and more like Jesus. That's perfect freedom. The freedom that comes with a price. The Bible states these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This answers that last question. What am, I, what am I being set free from? Your faith in Jesus is setting you free from the bondage of sin, from the veil of darkness that has covered your eyes. And so many times what we need is all of a sudden that veil of darkness to be lifted off of our eyes so that we can see the goodness of God. You discover a hope and a purpose in following Jesus. 
And that is my hope and prayer for each and every one of us today that's here in the audience, here watching online, that we find the true purpose in our life, who is Jesus Christ. For you to find true freedom, not freedom to do whatever you want, but true freedom to follow Jesus. That's what true freedom is, to follow Jesus and to discover his purpose in your life. This is the prayer that Jesus had for his followers. He says, and you will know the truth. And say this with me, and the truth will set you free. Today I encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. He will set you free. He will lead the way. We're running a little late today. That's okay, isn't it? Yeah. I want you to take, I felt like it was just appropriate today to end with communion. There should be a communion cup on your seat as you entered in, or it should be in between your seats. And if you're watching us online today, hopefully you've sent some communion elements out. And I want you just to open that up, and I want you to, to take the wafer that's in there that represents the body of Jesus Christ. Let me read a scripture to you out of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And I hope this scripture brings hope into your life. He says, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you're here today and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, I need to take that step first before you do anything further. How do I have that step to follow Jesus? Maybe you're watching us online and you've never made that commitment. You've never committed to God's word. You've never committed to Christ. I say it's the greatest thing you could ever do. I think, honestly, if you really search your heart and your mind, you're actually searching for a set of guidelines that can set you free from the life that you're living right now. I really do. I think that you are, you're wanting someone, someone to give me direction, someone to give me hope. Today, if you need to make that choice, say this prayer with me. Online, here today. I want everybody to say this prayer with me today. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, Today I follow you. I choose to put my hope and my trust in you. Set me free from my sins. Help me to do what is right. Give me the power of your spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.